This is Bumping Into Walls, a show about living with vision loss, the challenges, the successes, and the day-to-day walls we all bump into. Welcome to Bumping Into Walls. I'm Catherine McLeod, and with me in studio today are my co-hosts, Jesse Dragarson, Anthony Hodges, and Dave Serrani. Hello, guys. Hi. Hey, how you doing? Hello. And as well, we have in studio a special guest, Fred Schumann. Welcome to Bumping Into Walls, Fred. Thanks. Glad to be here. And Fred is here to help us discuss our topic, which I'm going to tell you all about. Uh, Now, as many of our listeners know, from time to time, uh, different companies and organizations sometimes will have seminars for their employees or their members just with a view for having some kind of uh, sensitivity training about different things, one of which will be disability awareness. And that can be a really good thing, really helpful. But sometimes it doesn't work. So we're going to talk about the good and the bad about that. And Fred is here with us because, among other things, he is a clinical psychologist here in Calgary. So we were hoping that he can kind of shed a little bit of light on some things that we don't necessarily know about. So, Fred, what... What do you think um, about maybe some of the lines that could be drawn? Well, when we talk about uh, in-services or whatever you would call them, one of the challenges is how to simulate a disability. So, for example, you could say, okay, we're going to have you do a blindfold walk or a blindfold lunch or we're gonna put you in a wheelchair so that you can understand how it is in life for these people who are disabled. And that's good. It's all education and it's it's wonderful. And And it's important to do that, to show people what it might be like. But the problem is, of course, it's it's short term. The person can actually take the blindfold off get out of the wheelchair and walk away. So although it's good to show a person uh, what it might be like, and I can remember actually doing this with my kids. Um, I challenged them one time to go under blindfold. And actually a friend of us, of ours, gave the kids money for for being under blindfold for a day. Oh, well, (laughs) that's a good incentive. That was pretty good. But but again, um, it's going to be short term. And it will only uh, do some, it will give us some value of what it's like for a person to be without sight or, or disabled in a physical way. But it's not going to do the whole story because, of course, it's short term. And it's interesting. I was thinking about this um, over the last while related to how people understand disabilities. You know, there, there seems to be different groups of people. If I said to my wife uh, or some other people that I know, you, you know, it'd be nice to have you under blindfold for a while. They would probably say, no, I'm not interested. And the reason I think is <clears throat> um, they 
they don't want to be under the blindfold or mm -hmm. in the wheelchair. And it could be out of fear or it could be just a choice that they don't want to. On the other hand, every now and then somebody will walk up to me and they'll tell me, well, I was blind once for, you know, four hours. And like, you're sort of wondering, well, is this true or are you just feeding me a bunch of, you know, hooey? But <clears throat> you know what though? Those kinds of people have a fascination with the vision loss or with the physical disability, should it be, you know, like the, the guys coming up to somebody in a wheelchair. So there's interesting perspectives that people have on being disabled. Now, touching on what you were uh, talking about, about um, the people uh, learning about vision loss mm -hmm. and going blind and, and going under the blindfold. Mm -hmm. For instance, when I first lost my eyesight, mm -hmm. one of my friends said, oh, I know all about being blind. My second wife was blind, and I had to go with a blindfold for a day, so I know all about it. And I was like, Ted, you don't know all about it because any time during that day, you could have taken that blindfold off. Mm -hmm. But he never understood that. Every time he saw me, he would say, I know all about being mm -hmm. blind. Well, there's two, I think, concerns there. One would be the one you mentioned. He can go without the blindfold. The other thing that we have to say is this. Every person relates to life, to others, to themselves, and to their visual impairment differently from the, the next person who is blind and is down the road. The reason is, a, is because, of course, we all have unique personalities, which we've been specially gifted with. And um, second, we also may have a various eye conditions that are different from each other. Mm -hmm. Like um, you might have some vision, I have none. Um, my vision loss has to do with something called, um, well, it's called retinitis pigmentosa. Or no, sorry, RLF. I don't even know my own vision loss. What the heck? RLF. <laughs> I have, I have retro, trouble remembering sometimes. Yeah, retrolentral yeah. fibroplasia. That's mine. Whereas retinitis pigmentosa, the other one that I mentioned, has to do with, with uh, a slower vision loss. Mm -hmm. and, and so that person has trouble with night vision. Um, so with mine, um, retrolentral fibroplasia, it's a total vision loss usually. There's some people that have some light perception. But then there's macular degeneration or diabetic retinopathy or glaucoma or cataract issues. And even still now, for the most part, cataract issues don't show up in North America anymore. But I do spend quite a bit of my time in Peru where we help people uh, who are visually impaired in the cities of Arequipa, Puno, and Cusco. And they have different kinds of eye conditions that they have to face in Peru than we do. Plus, yes. of course, a major cause of vision loss both in Peru and to some degree in Canada is uh, industrial or other accidents. Mm -hmm. So that would be yeah, uh, I know that one of the interesting things that I did at the CNIB when I had more vision was that they had these eyeglasses that oh, we yeah. could put on mm -hmm. that would let 
people with some vision see the effects of different right. eye conditions. Right. And that was good for empathy sure. because you had a, a way of seeing a little bit of mm -hmm. what other people were seeing. For sure. We've, we've taken, we've borrowed, we uh, have borrowed the eyeglasses from Cena yeah. at various times. Yeah. And we have a fundraising lunch for the Peru project at our church. And we, we have a, about a, you know, a couple of hundred people out of 10 that lunch or something like yeah. that. And they always enjoy wearing those glasses because they learn. Yeah. Well, this is how it's like, well, this is what it's like to eat spaghetti with macular degeneration, you know? You know, that's what I said that I would always do if I had a restaurant. I would, I would do it with those special glasses. Yeah. Now, Anthony and Dave seem to be pretty quiet. What makes people so uh, really intrigued about a disability? Is that something that could kind of go too far and people could just kind of go, well, you know, man, you're creeping me out? Or what makes it happen? I think part of it is they wonder how they are going, would, be, would react if they would have that disability. And so there's something of a fascination with it. The second thing is they don't know how you do what you do. They like don't. they don't have a clue. Like seriously, I don't know how many people in my life, probably thousands, have come up to me and said, how do you get around? Do you count your steps? Do you this, do you that? I'm like, nope. <laughs> and so they're like, well, how? I'm like, so then I start to tell them, you know, what I pay attention to. Mm -hmm. you know, um, like, for example, in my area, I know where, the, I know where the bus stop is to get off my bus. And people are like, how do you know where that is? It's not at a corner. I'm like, okay, well, there's certain bumps in the road. They ever repave the road? Well, I could have a problem. So I can remember in Vancouver one time, um, they did resurface an area and I couldn't tell anymore where, where we were to get off this bus for a workplace that I worked at. So we put a bump in the road. We actually made one. We got out there with some concrete and three o'clock in the morning and put a bump in the road. Oh, that's funny. It was pretty funny. But, you know, those are things that <laughs> visually impaired people can have some fun with and they, they well, do. Well, yeah. I, I know that, um, for instance, I'll notice that there is a coffee shop because I can smell the coffee and sure. people. Yeah, so like, you use your other senses, right? But it's not that I have any special sense of smell. No, it's no. just that I use it more than... Although than people, people think, when you're totally blind anyways, that your sense of smell is heightened. I don't know how true that is. They think every one of your senses or, yeah, that you have exactly. is heightened. So. I, I just think... It, it may be heightened, but it also may be that you just have to pay attention to the more. Well, I think it's really more that I pay attention. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. my daughter, for instance, is like, well, mom, why don't you use your, your iPod? And it's like, because it would be a death sentence for me to be walking down the street with my iPod. I have to listen and pay attention to oh, what's going on around me. It's not that my si sense of hearing is heightened. It's that I have to use it. Well, I have to pay attention to the way the street feels under my feet so that I feel where that bump in the road is or where that crack is and I know where things are. I, well, I, there's I lots of sighted people out there that shouldn't be looking at their phones. I recently you know, saved somebody from walking in front of the train oh. with her, I'll grab them by the you know shoulder. I'm like, hey, stop. And the train was just coming, and she said, I didn't even look. And I'm like, 
what's your name? She says, Sonny. I said, well, it'd be cloudy, man, if you would have got hit by that thing. Yeah. I think, how do they do that? Do you think sometimes, too, though, that um, certain people want to kind of take the limelight and say, well, I could do that. Uh, for instance, a number of years ago, I think it was probably in uh, tandem with the Rick Hansen Foundation, uh, the city councilors did a uh, thing with wheelchairs mm -hmm. up and down the streets of Calgary. And certain councilors were kind of like, oh, yeah, we did a great job. We know all about being in wheelchairs oh, now. Yeah. Well, of course, I have to be careful what I say about city councilors, but let me just say I'm this. I'm not going to say <laughs> any names, <laughs> okay. and I think anybody probably can yeah. guess which ones it was. Well, let me just say this. Some people like being in the limelight. Yes. Uh, that's all I need to say. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I will tell yeah. you, um, and and certainly my friends here know, last summer I had a rather bad injury. Okay. And so I spent almost three months in hospital in a wheelchair, and it was not fun. No. Nope. Uh, I had one leg completely incapacitated, so I had to be helped in and out of the wheelchair. I could not do it on my own. I had to be helped with pretty well everything. Mm -hmm. And because I'm also visually impaired and I was so low down, I couldn't see where I was going, so I couldn't do anything right. independently. And because my leg was sticking out, uh, there was really no way to get that wheelchair in or out of places easily. Mm -hmm. So it was a pretty miserable existence sure. for a fairly good chunk of time, I would say. All right? Mm -hmm. But I will tell you in all honesty, <coughs> even after almost three months, I still don't know what life in a wheelchair is. I can tell you what being in a wheelchair is about. And I certainly talked to a number of people whose existence is probably going to be pretty well wheelchair-bound. So sure. I, I have a lot of empathy with them, and, and I learned a lot from them. But my personal life, I always knew that eventually I was going to be out of the wheelchair. So mentally... I was not living a wheelchair existence. Right. I was living right. a, a, an existence that was partially in a wheelchair, but sure. I always knew I was going to be getting out of it. So I, in all honesty, can't say, yes, I know what life in a wheelchair is. I know what having to sit in a wheelchair for hours at a time is like. I know what having to be constrained in a wheelchair is about, but... I don't know what it would be like to be well, in a could, wheelchair for life. You could actually kind of model this, this after prison. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, prison and being visually impaired are well, very different from each other. But what I'm trying to say is this. Yeah. If I receive a life sentence. Well, I did call it prison, actually. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, if, but if I receive a life sentence and, I, you know, I, I've done some crime or whatever, I'm going to drum heller for a life sentence. That's one thing. But if I receive a two-year sentence, that's another thing. I know that after two years, unless I'm, you know, uh, unless I've done something terrible in the prison, 
I'm going to get out. Mm-hmm. And so that that's that's the difference, I think, there. Well, I, th- I think so. And, and so mentally, I mean, I knew that it was going to be over. Sure. But, but then on the other hand, and when I was talking to the people uh, in the hospital setting where I was, I did tell them about my experiences with vision loss and certainly with what my attitude and my learning experiences were with vision loss to, you know, to try and help them with what their life was going to be like with living with a wheelchair. Because I thought with, you know, one disability and another disability, when you have to learn to live with a disability, you know, a lot of the learning curve is going to be pretty much the same, that your mental attitude is going to have to be. Yeah, there are some crossovers for sure. You're listening to Bumping Into Walls on CJSW 90.9 FM. This is why I think that having these seminars and and groups is so important Mm -hmm. here, though, because uh, people here are out and in the open, and it's very important that uh, that the public understands Uh, first of all, how to approach mm-hmm. someone that might need assistance. I had a, a wonderful experience a number of years ago. I was out on a winter's day, and I was kind of trying to figure out where to go, and a gentleman approached me and asked me if I needed assistance. And uh, when I said that I did, he offered me a salvo, and he gave me very good assistance. And then after it was all over, he asked how he did. And I told him he did an excellent job. And he told me that he had read an article in the local newspaper mm-hmm. about how to do it. Sure. And I said, well, you did a great job, and you obviously understood everything about it. And, and I thought, you know, what a great article that must have been. And so that sort of thing is absolutely terrific. Mm -hmm. And I try every time that anyone offers me assistance to make sure that they understand how to do it and that, uh, you know, that it works out really well. Now, another uh, thing that we were looking at is how often uh, people within the blind community as well start defining what it is to be blind and maybe think because they've figured out what to do that that's the way everybody else should be doing it. Again, I think that has to do with how much am I at the center of everything or how much do I understand that I'm part of a bigger world and I'm part of a bigger community, the visually impaired community around me. Yeah, because I, I usually tell people that uh, there isn't any right or wrong and, and that everyone has to kind of figure things out for themselves that, uh, you know, if they don't want to use an iPhone, then that's really up sure. to them. Yeah. Uh you know, that if they don't want to learn Braille, that's up to them. If they want to do everything with an audio book, that's up to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people have their own sense of what they can handle and what they can't handle. That's right. No, I, I had, uh, I learned Braille 
and uh, the other person that was learning Braille at the same time I was was an elderly lady. And uh, the Braille teacher called us her two Braille girls because pretty well everybody else was just learning bits and pieces of Braille. And this other lady and I were the ones that just went right through the entire book and just wanted to learn everything. And But everyone else decided what they wanted to learn for their own purposes. And I couldn't say that they were right or wrong. They had their own reasons. One person took the book and he, I think he learned two pages and then just said, no, not for me. I don't like it. I don't want it. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't a right and wrong. But what it does mean is that there are certain things that people choose. Well, I know you have some thoughts on this, Jesse. Yeah, I think that there's a certain kind of divisiveness in the community and that I think a lot of, of dealing with something like this is being able to, to find peers to turn to, which is why I, I don't think there's really any benefit in, in thinking that you have a way and that that's the only way um, because, you know, each individual is different. Each individual is going to do things different. Um you know, I know we talked on our show with uh, with Mike Hamley. You know, some people might want to squirt a t- tube of toothpaste into their mouth, and and some might not want to do that. Yeah, you know? yeah, uh-huh. I, I I know, and and actually, um, I, I I will tell you, I I did try it, and it it is helpful, but <laughs> I, I I don't want to do it with an audience because yeah, you know, people are going to judge you. Yeah. So At least I think they're going to. <laughs> each person, well, plus everyone has different levels of vision. So what's going to work for one person really isn't necessarily going to work for the other. And we can get, we can, we can all provide helpful hints, but I don't think any of us are in a position to say we have this all figured out. Um, uh. Because we, we can all, we've all still got lots, lots of learning to do. What do you think, Anthony? I think, I think you're right. Uh, each person will do things differently. I mean, I know I do things differently than Jesse does, but we all get the same job done. Mm-hmm. Um, what I may do may work for me, and it might work for Jesse, but then again, it might not. Mm-hmm. If you're both getting the job done and it it doesn't affect the other person, I say work with what works mm-hmm. for you. But some are, some people are not going to be open to trying new things either, and you have mm-hmm. to respect that. It's just, well, it's just like... In a normal world, you know, people who have different personalities, you know, so one-sided person might be a very organized person, <laughs> and another-sided person might not be. Well, it could be the same thing in the blind community. Sure yeah. it is. You know, some blind, blind people benefit from organizing everything very well, and I say, you know, people walk in and say, your room's a mess, and I'll be like, yes, but I know where everything is. Well, what I think is organized is not necessarily what somebody else thinks is organized. Exactly. That, that's, that is true as well. I would be very happy to see if the blind community tried to work together to help each other. But for some strange reason, and it seems to be in this community a lot, you get folks that like to divide. And I don't quite, never understood it. Um, I don't know if it's just the blind community. I think, it, I think it's a lot of yeah. people. But I mean, I said one time several years ago that I thought that, uh, for instance, People that were uh, paraplegic were much better organized at getting things done 
and getting uh, services than we were. And someone just got furious with me about saying that. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I think that uh, there's a little bit of not recognizing that there's a tremendous difference in what people mm -hmm. are seeing and not seeing, that there's a lot of difference in vision loss. I know it was very helpful for me to volunteer at the CNIB, for instance, and see how much difference there was between individuals uh, with vision loss, how much mm -hmm. um, difference there was in need, how much difference there was in ability. Um, you know, I learned so much. So, you know, and and uh, I learned a lot from different people. I still have a lot to learn. I mean, I joke all the time about it in, in some ways. I mean, I'm still learning how to be blind. I think we all are. <clears throat> and I think it also comes from the fact that each person knows what we know. You know, all, all I know is being totally blind. So any advice I give is going to be colored with that. But mm -hmm. that advice might not translate to somebody who's partially blind. And and I get it. And I think, uh, yeah... Um, I guess the thing is, is that there is no right or wrong way in some ways, but I have no business telling someone and we, we to do something a certain way. Um, and we touched on this um, when we were talking to Christopher from the CNIB. I have no business telling someone that they need to learn to use a slate and stylus. Mm -hmm. And you have no business telling people that they have to learn to use apps. Exactly, yeah. If if I want to learn to use iOS apps, uh, a certain iOS app, then I can go and ask you to teach it to me. Yeah. Um, may, maybe. But I can't know whether that that's actually going to work for you or not. Exactly. Got to go in with an open mind and say, oh, let's see if this works. And that's where I think sometimes people in general just get all jammed up and, and uh, frustrated and then they take it out on everybody else thinking, well, it works for me, so it has to work for the rest of you. And, and yeah. yet I will point out that Jesse and I had a very calm, very rational discussion about the difference between uh, iOS and Android a few weeks ago about what he was not liking about Android. I mean, I have nothing vested in Android. I prefer it. Um, I do use iOS stuff sometimes, but um, I'm generally an Android user. But I just was interested in what mm -hmm. he wasn't liking about the Android stuff. Yeah. But I like that you can type uh, Braille on the touchscreen on iOS. Uh, and... Uh... A lot of people I know are like Braille on a touchscreen. That's preposterous. I don't think it's preposterous. It just isn't something that I need. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, it just, I was just interested, but I get a little frustrated with people that get really so invested in certain technologies that they get mm -hmm. angry. Exactly. You got to use any tool in your toolbox that you can put in there and not be married to any one thing 
and and yet I enjoy using my slate and stylus, and I understand why other people don't. Thank you very much. This has been an absolutely wonderful discussion, Fred. And anything else we want to add? Would you like to give folks information as to how they can contact you? Um, I have a business in the city called Renewal Counseling, and um, I've been there since 1993. Um, you can contact me. The best way really is by phone, 403-212-8989. Tune in next time to see what people, places, or things we've been bumping into. To contact Bumping Into Walls, find us on Twitter at into underscore walls. Or send us an email at bumpingintowalls at gmail.com. You can also check out our website, bumpingintowalls.wordpress.com. Bumping Into Walls is produced edited and hosted by Jesse Trigarthen, Anthony Hodges, and Catherine McLeod. <laughs>